This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Last week, we had Olivia Waite on the show to talk about her new novel, The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. This week, she joins us again to talk about some books with queer women in historic settings that she's particularly enjoyed. Welcome back, Olivia. Well, hello again, Heather. So what's the first title you want to talk about? Well, I think the first one that I talk, want to talk about is the most recent one I read, and it's K.J. Charles's Proper English. And I know you had K.J. Charles on an earlier episode of this, uh-huh. so I'm sure you've brought this up, but I just want to reiterate how good that book was mm-hmm. i'm in a, i've been in a very murder mood lately uh, and so like <laughs> I, I think a lot of us have been <laughs> yeah i think i don't think it's a coincidence a lot of people are writing gothics right now either mm-hmm. um yeah this this lovely country house party and there's a lot of people you really like and there's one person that everybody really hates and you spend a good chunk of the book going gosh when is he gonna bite it mm-hmm. and then meanwhile you have this lovely sweet like um romance between these two women who are so different mm-hmm. and it was such delight watching them learn to like appreciate one another and that's one of my favorite things in romance is when a pair of characters thinks the absolute world of the other person and is like how could I possibly ever measure up? That, that <laughs> particular dynamic always just lights my heart up. The mutual admiration society thing just, oh. Yeah, I, I, so- I think I love that trope because it's what I always secretly hoped would happen for me, that somebody would finally appreciate <laughs> me and love me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the dream, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's why it's so popular. Exactly, yeah. And that's... Man, that's such a, it's such a simple dream, and you want everybody to find that, uh-huh. like, in real life and in fiction. But fiction's so much easier to give to, give to people yeah, than, like, yeah. life relationships. Okay, yes. what's next? Well, next is, I think, probably one of the most grounded historical um, FF romances I've ever read, which is Farrah Mendelssohn's Spring Awakening. Uh-huh. And it's a very classic structure. It's a single POV. So it's very, very Georgette Heyer in the sense that you don't quite know what the other love interest is thinking all the time. Mm -hmm. But it's historical romance in, oh gosh, it's a manufacturing town in England, but it's it's like a button factory owner's niece, and she's just lost her father. And the opening is just so heartbreaking and gorgeous, and it's about her losing her father. It's just, it's the one book where, and it's a very early scene, so it's not much of a spoiler, but they, they kill off the dog, and it's beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> and it, so it's like oh my gosh you can break any rule in fiction like I would normally hate this and it's so careful and poetic and wonderful and I'm like I'm in the hands of a wonderful author and then she moves to Manchester with her uncle and his family and and it's one of those where there's like you know somebody she really likes and then there's somebody who's attractive and dangerous and mm-hmm. so one of those like slight love triangle kind yeah. of things but it's just so it's so concrete and you can feel like you're in the map of the city at the time. And that's, 
it was wonderful. And I just felt like I was living and breathing right there in the best way. And one of the things I loved about that novel is because the, the protagonist has a very close friend that she has had a romantic and, and sexual relationship with who has now married and moved away. And it's yes. so utterly normalized as part of her life history. That That's it's, right, yeah. And, and I love those details because you know, we, we can see in the history and the literature the romantic side of that sort of friendship mm-hmm. and then just extending it that little bit and saying, well, of course they were also making out. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, kissing feels pretty good. Yeah. People to do it if they get the chance. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and also that space of, given, given the legal obligations, like the, I remember the end of that book, there's, there's a solution they come to that's just so refreshing and wonderful, and, and it's something that people did all the time in real life, mm-hmm. but you don't see a lot of it in fiction, and there's kind of this truism, especially coming from like a mainstream romance perspective, there's this idea that if you can't legally marry someone, what's the point of the relationship? And even in MF romances, I was always kind of interested in the ones where where marriage wasn't an option for whatever reason, uh-huh. or a lot of people are very like anti any any contact outside of marriage is cheating and romance. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much. I'm like, you know what? If you're married to some guy and he's off somewhere and you're not sure if he's alive and dead, you know what are you gonna do? You gotta you gotta live your life here mm-hmm. on like the crumbling estate you're trying to fix up. <laughs> you know? The convention panel discussion that I desperately want to see and especially participate in someday is talking about what does happily ever after mean for queer historical romance? You know, we've got this, as you say, this trope for MF romances that, you know, marriage is the thing that indicates you've reached, you know, the end of the story and and they're, they're happy ever after now. But, you know, for, for same sex couples, that has only very recently been an option for happily ever after. So what are ways of constructing the HEA that don't rely, you know, even necessarily on marriage analogs? And, and, and the other part of it that I'd love to see discussed is how is it different for male couples in history and female couples in history? Yeah. Which are, which are very different challenges. Like, you know, in terms of female couples, you had, you know, the ladies of Langolin, uh-huh. who just were a couple, essentially, and everybody knew about it, and, like, the government paid them a stipend, mm-hmm. and they were visited by artists and writers, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, those two ladies who were living together, and people still debate, well, do we think this was a sexual relationship? Do we think this was a romantic? And I'm like, in some sense, that doesn't matter. It could have... They could have been doing anything they wanted or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing. Like, it matters less what we think and what people at the time thought. They had the option to mm-hmm. live as though they were a married couple. And to have and people that, treat them as a married couple. Treat them as a married couple, yeah. And you see things like, you know, Anne Lister and the idea that they did have a sort of marriage ceremony. You read um, Peter Ackroyd's Queer City mm-hmm. History came out recently, which is... It definitely is really wide-ranging, so it kind of skips over this whole ocean of history, but he's got really good footnotes, and he's got amazing anecdotes, and it just lights up the writerly part of my brain. But one of the things he talks about was how many records we have of churchmen, like vicars and and priests and pastors, and writing, 
oh, this couple came asking me to marry them, but I could tell that they were both women, so I said no, and they went away. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> and then you think, well, those are just the ones he spotted. So plenty yeah. of people probably snuck off to a nearby parish, wrote down some names in a register, and then pretended like they were legally married because they, for all intents and purposes, were. Uh-huh. And this... So on the one hand, yeah, moving away from this idea that marriage is necessary is important, but also saying, well, just because it wasn't technically legal didn't mean people weren't trying to, like, trying to take control of some of that meaning for themselves mm-hmm. if they felt they deserved it. Yeah. Uh, you see fake marriages being performed at the Molly Houses in 17th century London. Uh-huh. Like, you know, they would they would throw huge, like, parties and marry multiple couples like people and people would get arrested for performing these marriages. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I think it just makes it gives me faith in the irrepressibility of it all. Yeah, and that's something that I think we definitely need more of in these in these times that we're living in. Yeah. So, any more books you want to talk about? Well, there's one book that is on my TBR, but I haven't had a chance to read yet. But I'm super excited about, and I definitely want to see more people know about this and more people talking about this. It's a book called. The Thin Bright Line by Lucy Jane Bledsoe. Uh-huh. And it's a novel. I'm, I don't think it's a romance. Uh, again, I haven't read it yet. It's a historical novel that she wrote when she discovered her aunt, who was queer, was also a spy in the Arctic. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's all I need to know. Purchase. <laughs> One-click purchase. <laughs> and it's just, I'm really, I'm really kind of enthralled by that idea of the Cold War and the early movements toward queer liberation, things like the Mattachin Society, uh-huh. coupled with spycraft and cryptography and and this idea of secret messages hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, the Arctic, which is just endlessly fascinating. I definitely want to kind of boost that book's profile a little bit more. Yeah, uh, one of my, my other uh, interviewees mentioned that as well. I th- I think maybe it was Ellen Clages who mentioned it, but I'm not positive. Oh, yeah. So yes, definitely. Well, I will put links to all those books in the show notes. And thank you so much, Olivia, for sharing some of your favorite books with us. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Heather. This was a wonderful, wonderful time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 